Welcome back to the Core EM Podcast, core content for anyone, anywhere, and just in time. This is the official podcast of the NYU Bellevue EM Residency Program. Our conference today featured a journal update on the Revert trial that's gotten a lot of notoriety in, in the foam world. We thought we'd discuss the trial and use it as a bit of a jumping point to delve into AVNRT management. And with me once again is Jenny Beck-Esme. Jenny, I think we're just going to go ahead and call you the co-host for the Core EM Podcast. What do you think? I think that'd be great. I'm really enjoying doing this. It kind of brings me back to my acting days. Uh, awesome. And it's it's great to have you on. It's always nice to have someone else instead of me just talking to myself. <laughs> All right. So Jenny, you're a PGY3 resident. I'm sure you've had a lot of AVNRT cases. Can you start us off with a bit of a definition here? Sure. AVNRT or AV nodal reentrant tachycardia is also commonly called paroxysmal SVT. It is a regular narrow complex tachydysrhythmia with a very high ventricular rate. It results from a it results from a micro reentrant tract within the AV node. Yeah, the distinction between AVNRT and SVT is kind of important. I think SVT is sort of a garbage term that includes any tachydysrhythmia that originates in the atrium, including AFib, A-flutter, sinus tach, and AVNRT. But again, PSVT, AVNRT, sort of used interchangeably. Typically, what you'll see on EKG or monitor is a really fast rhythm that is exquisitely regular, meaning there's almost no variation in the rate at all. This is different from what you'd see in sinus tack, where the rate will be kind of going up and down a little bit. Yeah, that's absolutely right. One of the places where the diagnosis can be confusing is with A flutter when there's a two to one block. So the rate's going to be around 150 beats per minute. It's going to be also really, really regular, and it can be difficult to see those P waves. If you see a rate around 150, suspect A flutter as the underlying rhythm. One other area of confusion is when the patient has AVNRT with aberrancy, typically a right or left bundle branch block. These patients will manifest with a wide complex tachy instead of the normal narrow complex and be confused with VTAC. Yeah, there are a number of algorithms to tease these apart, and we'll drop some links to Rebel EM and Amal Matu's EKG blog discussing this. The bottom line is that none of the methods are foolproof. When in doubt, I assume that a wide complex tachydysrhythmia that's regular is VT and treated as such. If you're wrong and it's AVNRT with aberrancy, the patient will still respond to the treatment you give for VTAC. On the other hand, treating VT as AVNRT can be dangerous, especially when it comes to the disposition. All right, so let's go into the management a little bit here. So the first thing is to determine if the patient is stable or unstable. If they are unstable, defined as hypotension or signs of poor end organ perfusion, so patient has chest pain, altered mental status, something like that, go ahead and perform synchronized cardioversion. Electrical cardioversion is safe and effective in almost all patients. I would always vote for electrical cardioversion as well if the patient has a wide complex tachycardia and you're not sure if it's VT or AVNRT. Yeah, I couldn't agree more on this one. Unstable equals synchronized cardioversion. Don't forget to provide some procedural station and analgesia if the patient is awake and aware. What about the stable patient? Well, there are multiple options here. You can start with vagal maneuvers or carotid massage. Classic teaching is to avoid carotid massage in older patients or in those with known carotid disease as you may break off a clot, although the actual evidence for this is pretty sparse. There are lots of vagal maneuvers, but the one I like is the straw or syringe technique. Here, you have the patient blow into an occluded straw or try to blow out the plunger of a syringe. No needle, of course. And this, of course, is where the whole conversation started. 
Ben Cleary, one of our PGY4 residents, discussed the Revert trial. This trial, published in Lancet in the last couple months, randomized patients to traditional Valsalva by blowing into a manometer at 40 millimeters of mercury for 15 seconds, then doing nothing, versus doing the Valsalva and then moving into a recumbent position with the legs up. They found with the modification, the legs up, the success rate was 43% versus just 17% in the standard approach. This gave a number needed to treat of 3.8, which is pretty incredible. Yeah, absolutely. And I think this is what we see quite often. We try the Valsalva, it doesn't work, we end up using a drug. Now, there's no downside or extra cost, so why not try this modified Valsalva? Now, Jenny, if the Valsalva doesn't work, what are you going to do next? Well, here you could go with either chemical cardioversion or electrical cardioversion. Chemical cardioversion is done either with adenosine, a complete AV nodal blocker, or with a calcium channel blocker like verapamil or diltiazem. Adenosine stops all conduction through the AV node, allowing the heart to sort of reboot into sinus rhythm. It has a very short half-life, so it has to be pushed very quickly through a proximal IV, something antecubital or higher. When it works, you'll see a sinus pause followed by a resumption of sinus rhythm. We typically start with six milligrams and then double to 12 milligrams if the first dose doesn't work. Yeah, the standard approach is to use a three-way stopcock to do a rapid bolus, but Brian Hayes and Michelle Lynn posted a variation of this where you draw the adenosine and a flush into a single syringe and you push it together. This makes administration quicker, and from their and my experience, it works just as well. The problem with adenosine is that it makes patients feel terrible. Their heart stops and they feel like they're dying because, well, let's be honest, they actually are dying. I've had many patients who have had it before and they tell me I absolutely do not want that adenosine drug again. So what are the other chemical options? So the other option is calcium channel blockers. Verapamil was the standard of treatment prior to adenosine becoming available, and it works just as well. The caveat here is on these, it can unmask underlying heart disease by blocking the AV node and throw the patient into circulatory collapse. But there's a wealth of experience with the drug showing that it's pretty safe. Yeah, we want to avoid using these in kids, which I think you brought up on a prior podcast talking about AVNRT mm -hmm. in pediatric patients. The dose here is 0.07 milligrams per kilogram given over two to five minutes. Now, if you don't have verapamil, diltiazem can be substituted, although it's less studied for this indication. Here, I'd probably use 0.25 milligrams per kilogram up to a max of about 30 milligrams, similar to what we use for rate control in atrial fibrillation with RVR. Now, I've used verapamil and diltiazem a number of times after listening to the RAGE podcast from March 2014, and we'll drop a link to that in the show notes. The nice thing is that it works just as well, doesn't give the patient that feeling of dying, and in my experience, patients are less likely to have an immediate AVNRT recurrence in the ED. Now, Jenny, you mentioned electrical cardioversion as well. Now, I like that option. Tell me more about that one. <laughs> Of course you like that option better, Swami. You want to shock everything. Oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> so electrical cardioversion is safe and effective, as mentioned earlier. And if chemical cardioversion doesn't work, or even as a first line, it's a reasonable option. Once again, always provide effective procedural sedation and analgesia for these patients. All right, so what's the disposition for patients with AVNRT who we either give a shock or we give a drug to convert them back into sinus rhythm? So most patients with AVNRT can go home after some brief monitoring. A first episode is fine to follow up with primary care, but repeat offenders should probably see a cardiologist as they may want to consider ablation. A couple of exceptions to the discharge to home, 
uh, pediatric patients, the really young ones, not usually the teens, should be admitted and have CARDS consultation as they may be hiding a congenital cardiac defect in that SVT. Also, if the patient has ischemic symptoms, you should consider an ACS workup. Yeah, I generally don't send troponins on these patients as they're commonly going to be slightly elevated, but this doesn't usually indicate coronary artery disease, but rather a type 2 myocardial ischemia from the rate. And that's sort of a conversation for another day. Another note is that the EKGs, while the patients in AVNRT, can show some ischemic changes like ST depressions, which typically resolve after cardioversion. You don't need to chase these down unless they don't resolve or the patient has ischemic symptoms either before or after the conversion. Jenny, you want to hit the listeners with the big take-home points here? Yes, I do. So first, AVNRT is a common tachydysrhythmia that results from a re-entrant loop within the AV node. Second, unstable patients with AVNRT should be considered for immediate synchronized electrical cardioversion. And last, stable patients with AVNRT can have a trial of vagal maneuvers followed by chemical cardioversion with adenosine or verapamil and synchronized electrical cardioversion if the medical version fails. Excellent. We'll definitely head over to the Core EM site and check out our post on a simplified approach to tachydysrhythmias, which has some downloadable algorithms for diagnosis and management. Jenny, can you take us out? Well, that's all for the Core EM podcast this week. Come on over and check out the site at coreem.net, where we've got a ton of great core content emergency medicine. This Wednesday, we'll have a post up on AVNRT reviewing all the things we discussed here, which will be a perfect spaced repetition to solidify this information. And we'll have a journal update on Thursday discussing an article on ketamine versus morphine for acute pain in the ED. Don't forget to check us out on our Facebook page, follow us on Google+, and on Twitter, where our handle is at core underscore EM. Thanks, and see you guys next week.